talking about faith. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, then you got saved by faith. You're living out your walk by faith. You pray by faith. You get up by faith. You go to bed by faith. You believe he's coming back by faith. You read your Bible by faith. That's why it says the righteous shall live by his faith. We're people of faith. We don't have faith in faith. We have faith toward God. And faith is the connection. It's the wherewithal, the the means by which we reach God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So all that we do, we worship by faith. And how many of you are believing for God to do something in your life? You got, a, you got a, amen, you got a prayer in the oven. Well, you're praying and believing by faith. Faith is the substance of things you're hoping for. It's the evidence of what you don't see yet, but faith tells you it's on the way. Even if you have to wait a while, and usually God's timing is not mine. Amen? We've been talking about Faith's Hall of Fame out of Hebrews 11. Where about 15 Bible luminaries are named and something that happened in their life by their faith. And they are held up as examples. You can't talk about it, faith that is, without talking about Abraham, the father of our faith. So I'm going to read out of Hebrews 11, verse 17, and let's read about Abraham. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son for whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned after God told him to sacrifice his answer to prayer, his dream, sacrifice it, didn't make sense. So Abraham concluded that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. That's faith. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead, figuratively speaking, because Abraham, he was as good as dead. To Abraham, it was a done deal until God stopped him from following through. So he received him back in a figure, in a type. But nevertheless, it's a type of resurrection. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for planting faith in our hearts. And Lord, we pray that today you will speak to us, build our faith, help our faith to mature, to be strengthened, to grow, to become stronger, deeper, wider. Help us, Lord, to be people that walk by faith more and more successfully in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you walk by faith. Amen. Let me talk to you about this today for a few minutes. Faith. 
Now, we come to, this is the patriarch, uh, Abraham, and he was tested, what I'm able to count in the Bible, he was tested 12 key times in his life. He was tested, his faith was tested, 12 key times. And two of those tests were the toughest. It was the test of timing and the test of sacrifice. The timing test, waiting on God, and the sacrifice test, sacrificing to God, laying on the altar, the hardest thing God could have asked. How many of you know waiting on God's timing is hard to do? How many of you can say, his timing is almost never mine? How many of you have ever looked up and said, come on, right? Here's Abraham and Sarah. God promised a son to him when he was 75 years old. He's 75 years old, and God says, you're going to have a son. But he would wait 25 years before that promise was fulfilled. Quarter of a century, he waited on God. And during that time, he underwent the timing test. Where is God? Why is he taking so long? Does he see what I see? I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm getting old. And we're we're passing child uh, birthing age. And so does God see it? So, So for 25 years, Abraham waited for the promise to be fulfilled. It was a promise. I'm going to bless you, Abraham, Genesis 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to bless you. Through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And that is ultimately through the Messiah that's going to come through your descendants, particularly the tribe of Judah. So I've got all these promises for you, Abraham, but for any of them to come to pass, you've got to have at least one son. And so, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And that was the promise. Year after year after year went by, 25 years. He waited until he was 100, and Sarah was 90. How many of you ladies would like to have a child at 90? You should have heard the first service. No. How many of you men would like to have a new boy at 100? No, you're riding your Harley around, right? You don't want that. Now, Abraham and Sarah did not understand why they were being made to wait. So they decided to take matters into their own hands and make God's will come to pass their way. How many of you have ever tried that and really can testify that doesn't work? I'm going, to make, I'm going to bring to pass God's will for my life with my own ingenuity or my own strength or my own wherewithal, whatever. Now, they tried two different ways because they didn't understand the wait. They didn't understand the lag time between promise and provision. They didn't understand it. Why is there this long time between promise and provision? And so they said, here's what we'll do. Abraham went to God and said, I'm asking you that Eleazar, my household servant, my chief servant over my house, will become the heir of my household. Let Eleazar suffice. Lord, Lord, I'm tired of waiting. Let, let's just appoint somebody. Eleazar, he's faithful in my house. Let him be the guy. And God said, no. You know the second attempt that was made. 
that Abraham would beget a son through Sarah's servant, Hagar, which produced Ishmael and the Arab race, and our world is being rocked today because of that decision. The ancient rivalry between Ishmael and Isaac is rocking our planet right now. All eyes are on the Middle East. All eyes are on Jerusalem. It has become the sore thumb of the world, as Zechariah the prophet predicted. In both cases, God rejected Abraham's attempts and said, no, it's not going to happen in your will, your way, in your strength. I'm going to give you a supernatural, miraculous fulfillment. It's going to be a miracle child. It's going to be a type of Christ. It's going to be by miracle, not as great a miracle as a virgin conceiving, but pretty close, a 90-year-old woman conceiving. So it's going to therefore be a child of faith, a child that comes by faith, by trusting the promises, by believing the promises, by laying hold of God and trusting Him. Romans points out, the book of Romans, that Abraham's faith, rather than getting weaker, which we would think, well, where's God? I'm starting to doubt. I'm starting to wonder. My faith is kind of collapsing here. That's not what happened to Abraham. The Bible says that his faith grew during the wait. And some of you, you're having to wait on God. And you're wondering why he's taking so long. And you know that what you prayed for is his will. Yet you're having to wait, wait, wait. Can I tell you that God never wastes a pain and he never asks you to wait in vain. He is causing your faith, though you may not feel like it, it's being stretched and it's being strengthened. It's going to be greater and stronger than before because God made you wait. The Bible says in Romans 4.19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Reproductively, his body was dead. He's a hundred. Since he was made about a, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver. Listen to his faith. Listen here. He did not waver through unbelief. So his faith didn't start weakening regarding the promise of God. But he was strengthened in his faith. Strengthened in his faith. And he gave glory to God being fully persuaded, fully convinced, fully sure that God had the power to do what he had promised, no matter what's going on around me circumstantially. God can do it no matter whether or not I can. In my weakness, he's made strong. When I can't, he can. When I won't, he will. When it's impossible to me, it's possible to God. And so Abraham came to the conclusion, even though me and Sarah were way past the ability to sire a child, and yet we believe that God is able, and we are totally convinced of it. His faith soared. His faith grew. And listen, your faith matters more to God than almost any single thing. Every attack you experience from the enemy, he's coming against your faith. He's out for your faith. He's not out to make something go bump in the night, give you a flat tire, uh, give you a difficult day. No, he's after your faith. He wants your faith. He wants to weaken it. He wants to make you stumble. 
He wants to make you doubt God. Hath God said, he said to Eve, to make her doubt God. But Abraham's faith grew. He was strengthened in his faith. And that's a good thing because it was the sacrifice test that jumped way beyond the timing test. And it began this way. Sometime later, Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Notice, not the mountain Moriah, the region where Moriah was. Because the hill he's going to go up would later be called Golgotha. Not Mount Moriah. It was the same hill that Jesus carried his cross up to be crucified. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there. What? Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. On a mountain I will show you. And it was that mountain where the Son of God would one day die. Now when God spoke this to Abraham, Isaac was a young man, around 18 or 25 years old. This is his dream. He's he's, he's the one he waited 25 years for. He's the one he believed God for all those years. He was the answer to his, his prayers He was his dream born, his dream in front of him, the key to all of God's promises to him stood before him in Isaac. And yet God comes and says, take him, take him up the hill, sacrifice him, which meant kill him, the enormity of this command cannot be understated. There is no way I could stand up here and describe how this rocked Abraham's world. God could have told him to sacrifice anything. Cool. But you got to be kidding me. Isaac? A child of my faith? My only son? Isaac was the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Without him, there would be no Abrahamic descendants, and God's purpose would die. Without Isaac, there's no Messiah, because he came through that lineage, the righteous lineage of faith. And there was also the incredible, undeniable love between father and son. This was the darling of his heart the apple of his eye, the hope of his posterity. Take him up the hill. What gets me is Abraham immediately obeyed. He immediately obeyed. Verse 3 says, Early the next morning Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. Abraham's journey was... 50 miles over a three-day time period. 50 miles he walked. That gave him a lot of time to think. Can you imagine that? 
gave him a lot of time to think. He got up, loaded his donkey, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, and they started walking. He had three days to look at him, three days to talk to him, three days to mull over what was about to happen, three days to try to make sense of God's command. He had three days. That's a long time. Three nights, three mornings, three long days of Isaac right here at his side. And yet, the Bible says, Abraham journeyed it. He set his face like a flint, like Jesus headed towards Jerusalem. It says he set his face like a flint. And what unfolds next is the clearest picture of the sacrifice of Christ in the entire Old Testament. What the story we're about to look at shouts down the tunnel of time to the day that Jesus died on the cross. We're going to see several absolute similarities that are uncanny and they're, un, and they're intentional. So let's look at some of the similarities in this story. The sacrifice of Isaac required wood. That matters. It required wood. It says Abraham split the wood for the burnt offering on which he was going to lay his son and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So he split the wood. Sacrifice of Isaac required wood. And then later on the top of the mountain in verse 9, it says, And Abraham placed the wood in order. He created an altar, and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Isaac was laid down on that wood on an altar configured by the father, his father. The Bible says in the same way Jesus was bound. He bound Isaac, then laid him on it. Jesus was bound, laid on a cross of wood, prepared by the Roman army and crucified on it. Total match. God was shouting to the Jewish people that were about to multiply. He was giving us a type and a shadow and a picture and illustration of what was coming on the ultimate day that Jesus Christ was laid on that cross. But there's more similarities. Both Isaac and Jesus carried their means of execution up the very same hill. It says when Abraham and Isaac had reached the mountain, the same mountain Jesus would carry his cross up 18 centuries later. It says, so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he carried it up the hill. Isaac carried it in his strength, carried his means of execution up the hill. We all know that Jesus carried his wooden cross up the same mountain, now called Golgotha's Hill. He carried it up the same mountain. John's Gospel record, carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place of the skull in Hebrew, Golgotha. So Isaac carrying this wood up the hill was an echo of what was going to happen 1,800 years later when Jesus carried his means of execution up the same hill. Is there a God or what? A sovereign God? Yeah. And you know that 
Another similarity is both Jesus and Isaac offer themselves voluntarily. We don't see Isaac fighting back. Let me tell you, all the wood that Abraham had prepared was heavy. So he was a strong young man, 18 to 25 years old at this point. And he's carrying this up this hill. So he had the strength to resist his dad if he had wanted to. He could have fought back. But we don't see him fighting back or resisting when he realized what Abraham was doing. Because sooner or later, he realized what was going on. Matter of fact, the only thing we see Isaac doing is saying, look, I'm paraphrasing here, look, Dad, look, Father, the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb? Where's the lamb for a burnt offering? We got the altar. We got the fire. Where's the lamb? Abraham replied, this is prophetic, my son. God will provide for himself the lamb. God will provide for himself the lamb. In the same way, Jesus did not fight. He did not resist. Didn't he say, I could call on 12 legions of angels and they would come right now and whisk me out of here? Yes, that is exactly what he said. He told his followers, nobody can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. I sacrifice my life voluntarily. He didn't fight. He didn't resist. He said, nevertheless, Father, not my will, but thine be done. And he yielded to the Father's will. And so did Isaac. Isaac was essentially saying, I see this altar. I see the fire. I trust you, Father. I trust you. And he let him lay him down, bind him. He trusted him. And it was an echo, a type of Jesus saying, I trust you, Father. I'll do it. I'll go to the cross. And both Jesus and Isaac were resurrected. You say, well, Jeff, Isaac wasn't resurrected. Well, Jesus was resurrected literally and Isaac figuratively. Because the Bible says, back to Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, the writer says, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Remember when I told you he had all kinds of time to think? During that thinking time, the devil did not get a hold of his thoughts. Faith got a hold of his thoughts. And he concluded, he decided, he... he, He settled it inside that if Isaac died, God was going to raise him from the dead. He literally, his faith had grown to resurrection level faith. God is able to take a dead person and bring them back to life. He believed that. What do I really find neat is when it says his two servants, when he left his two servants and he and Isaac, Uh, began to ascend the mountain. It says, here's Abraham's words to them. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there, and then we will be right back. He didn't say, I'll be right back. He said, we, already to him, it was done. He's getting up from the dead. We'll be back. We'll be back. 
Amen. You know how it ends. The Bible describes the dramatic climax to this story. I think this is the most moving story. I think next to it is Joseph, but even stronger than Joseph is this moment on the mountain when Isaac is on the altar, he's tied up, he's bound, and Abraham has a knife in his hand. There's nobody there but God and the angels watching. Are they saying anything to each other? Are they looking? Yes, they're looking at each other. Abraham looking down at his only son. The son looking up into Abraham's face. He sees the knife. And Abraham raises the knife. Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. Abraham! Abraham! Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Don't hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. And I could hear God saying, neither will I. Amen. Then it says, Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. He took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering. Now listen to these next words. They matter to you and me. In place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Amen. And of course, 18 centuries later, the Lord did provide. He provided the sacrificed lamb, the ultimate lamb, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. John the Baptist looked at him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Why did he call him a lamb? Because he was the ultimate lamb, the final lamb, the lamb through which and by his shed blood we would all who call on his name be forgiven, washed of our sins, and taken up into heaven. Amen. The Lamb of God. Now, I'm going to give you the takeaway message from this, and then I'm going to close. Here's the takeaway message. It's called substitutionary sacrifice. Listen carefully. Substitutionary sacrifice means something died so you don't have to. A substitute. Something was substituted for you and me. When Abraham saw that ram, he said, Isaac, you're saved. Here's the ram. I'm sacrificing the ram instead of you. So he took the ram, put him on the altar, and sacrificed him. Isaac lived because the ram died. You and I live because Jesus died. You and I live because he gave his life. You and I live and our sins are forgiven because he took the judgment. He took the punishment. He took the wrath. He took God's anger. He took it all. He took the wrath for you and me. So that we would not have to. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes on Him would not perish, but have eternal, everlasting, never-ending life. We live because He died. Now, I guess even better than that, I'm going to close with this. He died so that we could live. The Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. But then three days later, He got up from the dead. 
He was raised from the dead. God did what Abraham knew God could do. He got up from the dead. That same, that same thing that Abraham knew God was going to do with Isaac if he died, God did with his only begotten son. The Holy Ghost moved into that tomb, moved across the dead body of Jesus. He was raised from the dead. And because he, was ra- because he died, we live. Because he was raised, we're also going to be raised. He's the first fruits of many that are to come. The day is going to come when there is going to be a trumpet that blows. I believe soon and very soon we're going to see the king. We're in the last of the last days. Because Jesus got up, we're going to get up. Because Jesus arose from the dead and death could not hold him, God is going to raise us up because death can't hold a child of God either. We're going to get up. The trumpet's going to blow. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And I believe that day is very near at the door. Thank God for the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together, can we? Can we just lift our hands and thank Jesus? Let's just say together, thank you, Lord, that you died so I could live. And you rose so that I can rise again. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for substituting yourself for me. The substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus saves, delivers, opens the door to heaven. There's three men died on a cross that day. Two thieves and murderers and Jesus in the middle. Our world is dying for the man in the middle. The man in the middle. The man in the middle died for you and me. I'm so glad when I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, he came into my heart and totally changed me. Gave me a brand new lease on life. He died in my place. Are you thankful that he died in your place? Are you amazed that he died in your place? Oh, yeah. And he rose again from the dead. And I believe that we are very, very near his coming back. Can we just thank the Lord today? Jesus, thank you. Come on. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Do you believe Abraham had a little bit of a Pentecostal benefit up on that hill when God stopped him from sacrificing Isaac? Do you believe he kind of broke into maybe a little Pentecostal dance? Do you think he shouted a little bit? Do you think he hugged him real tight? I do. Amen. God's a good God. God's a good God. Father, thank you for your goodness today. Thank you for your mercy. If we could just every head bow for a moment of prayer and every eye close for a moment. I'm going to talk right to you. Maybe you're a visitor today. Maybe you've been coming a while. But I want to ask you, forget about everybody around you. Just let me talk to you and me. I'm talking right to you. 
Do you know Jesus? Have you, have you accepted him into your heart? Because his sacrifice does no good for you or me unless I look to him in faith and ask him to save me. It's just a fact of history unless I apply it by faith. And you and I have the faith to look up and say, Jesus, I believe in you and I place my faith in you. Have you done that? Is there a moment in time you can look back on and say it was then, it was there that I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins and he came into my heart and I saw change and I've never been the same. He changed me. Do you have that memory? I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And maybe you've just kind of drifted away from the Lord. Well, I want to invite you to come home. Porch light is still on in God's house. I invite you to come home to him. I'm just challenging you to give Jesus your all today. And don't leave this building without having made peace with God. So pray this with me right now. It's a simple prayer. And you can pray it right now. Just say, Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead. Forgive me of all my sin and come into my heart as Savior and Lord. I place my faith in you as my Redeemer. And just say in closing, you are Lord. Thank you, Lord.